Hi, and welcome to another episode of Rate That Album uh, with your hosts, myself, Paul Muadib, and Joseph Fremming. Joe, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A I'm thing here. Ha- I'm thing- here. <laughs> A thing happened this week, didn't it, Joe? Yeah, sure did. <laughs> um, before we before we begin, Joe, any plugs? When uh, what's going on with you guys over at the Joe Down? Uh, we'll be coming back in a few weeks uh, with Manhunter, and then after that, because uh, I'm going to exact revenge on Brown for putting us on hiatus we're doing the entire uh we're doing the the snyder cut of justice league <laughs> oh now no, let me just say that i i think we said this before in the other podcast i love 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 manhunter so i'm excited to see your guys's take on it um personally i think he's uh it, probably the best movie with hannibal lechner ever made that's my opinion it's my oh, opinion. yeah yeah it's my probably my second favorite hannibal lecter too is mm-hmm. brian cox but yeah Yes. Yes. So good. Okay. Well, that's cool. Um, let's uh, let's let, let, let's get into it here. Um, we did <laughs> a doozy of an album. <laughs> we did "Sweet Revenge" by Amanda Lear. Now, Joe, were you familiar with this album and/or artist in any way, shape, or form before our podcast? No, and I have a feeling there was a reason why. And then I listened to this album, and I was like, "Yep." <laughs> That's why I've never heard of her. <laughs> so the only way that I learned about this uh, and why we did this album was I, I have a subscription to Full Moon Features, which is like a B-movie consortium, as it were, of streaming. Um, all the puppet masters are on there. All the Charles Band produced movies, which are always like these C, B-grade movies. And on this was this thing called Crazy Disco. And it starred this Amanda Lear. And I was like, what is this? And it is nothing but her like half half naked through the entire movie. Okay. And we'll we'll talk about that. Um let's also talk about Amanda Lear and what the fuck is an Amanda Lear. Um, Man- Amanda Lear is supposedly a French singer, songwriter, painter, television presenter, actress, and former model. Now the reason why I say probably french is there's a lot of like we don't know where she's from who she is there's a lot of fake ids a lot of stories around her there's places that have her born in saigon or hong kong or france like nobody knows what the fuck this lady's deal is okay oh she's like tommy wiseau except i don't care (laughs) she is the female she's the original tommy wiseau um so yeah her origins are completely unclear um, as she's provided uh, with different information about her background and keeping her birth year a secret, um, even to her long-term husband. Um, well, there's been it's kind of not uncommon for wit, like people of her generation, though, especially like Europeans, like you know. Yep, it's just it's just not one of those. You know, it'd be surprising if she was if this was like the case, like 1970 on, but like she was like 40 when this album came out, so. When I was kind of read, when I heard about that, I was like, eh, yeah. A lot of people yeah. fell through the cracks pre-modern yeah. era. Yeah, I mean, because they have, her birth date ranges from, like, 
1939 to 1946 and 1950, dude. Like, she could have been born anywhere in there. Um, But most people believe that she's around 81, 82 years as of today. Um, Her birthplace, um, Saigon or British Hong Kong, but places like Singapore, Switzerland, Transylvania, um, Germany have also been rumored to be her birthplace. (laughs) Not only this, but she is considered a an icon in the LGBT community, um, as allegations claiming that Lear is a drag queen or even when intersex has been circling the beginning of her modeling and singing career. Um, her Salvador Dali had she was Salvador Dali's muse. She was a lot of people's muse, but Salvador Dali um, uh, commented and said, "Yeah, she's." she's intersex like she had um she had surgery um but she's contested it um so like there is just so much around like mystique around this person and then she contradicted the rumors and said that salvador dolly started them or she like she even said oh we started that to get me publicity um so yeah it's really 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 fascinating the story behind her. Well, you know, uh, also as a mystery is like the rights to her music because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to throw this. Uh, I could listen to the second half of this album on Spotify, but the first half was not. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's, it's not on YouTube music either, which is what I have. So I had, uh, luckily there was someone who recorded the A and B side on vinyl. Yeah, so, remastered them too. Mm-hmm. So they're a little more cleaned up than the, the Spotify audio. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't help people. It doesn't help us. <laughs> no. No. So, yeah, so she started, you know, in the 1960s, in the, in the 60s and 70s, she got into modeling, hung out with Salvador Dali. You know, they dated for a long time. And she became a big part of the whole swinging London period. Um, and you know, she was, she dropped out of, uh, out of, out of, um, uh, uh, art school and started hanging out with, um, Twiggy and Patty Boyd and Anita Palin, Palinberg. She dated Brian Jones. She's been linked to Mick Jagger, Keith Richards. Um, she David, she dated, um, David Bowie, Keith Moon, Jimmy Page, um, I believe that this would be one of like she was probably a Ruby Tuesday if you're familiar with that whole thing musically, um, which was typically a reference to a particular um, a particular groupie that was around all the bands at the time. You know what I'm talking about, Joe? Yeah. And do we do we ever get did we ever get the the identity of who Ruby Tuesday was? Uh, not that I know of. Uh, yeah, yeah, when it comes to the songs about groupies, uh, Plaster Caster is probably the more interesting. Of all. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guys don't know, it, it, it's a, a woman. She was a, a groupie, and she does she did plasters of like the members of the men she slept with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And according to her, the biggest dick, Huey Lewis. <laughs> really? Yep. Really. Good for Huey. Good for Huey. Um, well, you know, there you go. I mean, he was the news. 
It's the power of love, Paul. It's the power of love. You know, I mean, but I, I mean, was that was that his whole song? Because was was that kind of like Gabriel's sledgehammer? Because <laughs> Gabriel came out, Peter Gabriel came out and said that sledgehammer was about his dick, like straight up. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I wrote that song about my cock. Anyways, um, so then she started. Then she started hanging out with Bowie in 1974. And because she was just kind of burnt out of the whole fashion scene, and a lot of people got burned out from that whole swinging London period. And um, she and Bowie were dating for a long time, and he paid for her singing and dancing lessons. And he recommended her to the same vocal coach, coach that he had. And they re- apparently they re- they recorded a song together called Star. And it was never released. Like, it just never came out. <laughs> Color me shocked. <laughs> so, you know, like half of these stories you're telling me, I don't even believe they're real. <laughs> <laughs> she never met David Bowie. <laughs> we don't even know where, when she was born or where she's from. <laughs> God damn it, Amanda. God damn it, Gilmer. <laughs> Tell us where you're from. <laughs> so, Leary's debut single "Trouble" was the uh, pop, was a pop rock cover of Elvis Presley's "Trouble" song. It released unsuccessfully by a minor label called Creole Records. <laughs> a French language version of the track was released on Polydor in France and was equally unsuccessful there. Now, it became a minor disco hit. <laughs> I want to. I want to repeat that. A pop rock cover of a Elvis song became a minor disco hit <laughs> in West Germany in 1976. The, the track caught the attention of singer, composer, and producer Anthony Mann and his label um, Erola, which offered her a seven-year, six-album recording contract. That the sum of money that Lear has described as, quote, astronomic. Her debut album, called I Am a Photograph, relieved in 1977. Because uh, there were most songs that were composed by Mon. Well, it wasn't until 1978 when her line of disco hits with Street Revenge uh, came out. Street Revenge was the breakthrough album for her and her most recognized album. Which, again... You can't find anywhere. <laughs> it was la- I looked it up. It was last released on CD in 1992, Paul, when we were a hopping 11 years old. We were a hopping 11 years old. Yeah. And put in context, we're almost 40. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's, 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 it's just, it's just been out of print for almost, you know, 39 years. <laughs> yes. It's been out of print for 29, long- 29 years. Mm-hmm. Now, with this with this album, Street Revenge, what I really wanted to talk about was um, she was going to put a movie out with it, and um, it was uh, it was done by oh, God. Give me just a second because I I can't pronounce the Italian or French name of it. Um, it I, came, hope, I hope it had the same creative juices that this album had. <laughs> Yeah, so it was called it was called Folly Donati, and it's called Crazy Nights here, and it was Joe um, D'Amato, and Joe D'Amato was known for a lot of exploitation, uh, Jallo 
Italian films. I personally love Joe, Dema- Joe Amato and his work. Um, I'm a huge fan of that kind of um, 70s um, noir, uh, Italian noir films. And this, this, this became a huge thing, okay? Because she had filmed stuff for this, for kind of promotion and a few other things. And it was originally supposed to be a musical around uh, called Follow Me. She believed the mu- movie itself was incomplete until it showed up in Italian theaters under this name. And she had been she was horrified to discover that she had been tricked into starring in an exploitation film. She sued the producers, and the movie like did not get released. And like I, as far as I know, like th- this year, like 2020, it was released in 2020. Um, finally, after like uh, 40 years of it being in obscurity because of the lawsuits and everything. Yeah. 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 And unlike the day the clown cried, nobody was waiting for this to come out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if so, you guys don't know what, about the day the clown cried, it's a Jerry Lewis comedy about a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, sir, it is. So... That's as far as I'm going to get. If you guys are really, really interested in Amanda Lear, uh, you know, there, there's more to it. My God, there's just so much. She recorded an album called Diamonds for Breakfast and released singles um, uh, like um, uh, in Japan called Ho Fado L'Amour Con Me, which is considered autoerotic. <laughs> it's about it's about um, it's a song about masturbation. It's like it was her she so um there we go so yeah joe that's enough prefacing we've been dancing around this son of a bitch joe what did you think of sweet revenge this is what happens when an ashtray makes a disco album (laughs) go on (laughs) it was bad it was bad uh there's uh, at one point We'll get into it because we'll probably. This is not a long album, everybody. It's probably about what a half hour. Yeah, it's about a half hour long. There's a track called uh, "Mother, Look What They've Done to Me," and as soon as I heard like the the melody of the music, I started singing. Believe it or not, I'm walking there. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm done. <laughs> George isn't at home. <laughs> and, you know and. Uh, so, like, the first half of this record is is a medley. It's a, it's disco, a medley. It's a misguided disco medley. <laughs> it's, a, it's, like a, it's like the B-side to Abbey Road, if, like, Abbey Road was recorded by a bunch of shitheads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we talked about it briefly before we did this, uh, that she's she sings offbeat. <laughs> Yeah, not in the rhythm of anything. <laughs> no, no, no. It's completely off rhythm. Yeah, and, her, you, the, and about her age at this point would be in like maybe close to forty-ish, and she's already got like six-year-old uh, Tom Waits uh, five packs a day voice, which <laughs> is even more jarring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I'm singing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm singing the. Oh. <laughs> The piano has been drinking. 
Yeah, and uh, it's it just, uh, and then there's more. So there's moments where this there's actual songs, mm-hmm. and it gets like they just throw every like instrument they can find, where it's just like there's actually like moments where I was like, this would be a, you know, not completely awful if they just took up the disco track and just like kept the orchestra in there and it just been like a crooner song uh, this is yeah. this is shitty nico this is what this is. see and that's that's what i said i said this is like nico fucking went out and made a fucking disco album like this is yeah it like if i, I, I would, nico would make a better <laughs> disco album than this come on maybe Did john kale producing that we'd actually have something worth listening to you know I, I will say that I think if anyone listened to this and didn't know who it was, I would say it was it, like you would have thought like, oh, this is a Nico album I've never heard. Like, what the fuck is this? Then there's a novelty song on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, comics. Oh, comics. Mm-hmm. Or what about it? Uh, what about Enigma? Give a bit of mm to me. <laughs> oh God. Uh, well, then there's you know the stud where all of a sudden we got guitar and it's like. It's somehow worse rock guitar than like, you know, late era Kiss, where it's just like it's like, come on, like, yeah, it's bad. What the fuck is this? <laughs> uh, so in my notes, I did write early on that th- this is proof that cocaine does not always make a band or an artist better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so Anthony Munn did a lot of the composed a lot of these songs. He composed "Follow Me." Mother, look at what they've done. Run, baby, run. The follow me repraise. Um, he did um, in Hollywood flashback. Well, okay. I think Great American Hero needs to sue this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is this is what it was, and you know, Anthony Munn was. I mean, he. Didn't I mean? There's a reason why you don't hear of Anthony Munn, right? And this is part of it. I mean, this guy kind of was like this. Um, he thought he was this awesome composer. Um, I mean, the most he did was a uh, most he ever was known for himself was a duet with Marion Mars um, for a German language cover of a Robert Palmer 1981 song. So, <laughs> I, mean, I mean. This guy, you know, his his greatest international success is his work with um, with Amanda Lear. Now, interestingly enough, this was recorded in Giorgio Morador's um, Musicland Studios. Now, uh, if anyone who should is in the know, Giorgio is badass. Like this is the guy that really started um, modern music. Um, with like the like the the, the synthesizer and the click, um, you, you, if you haven't listened to, um, uh, he actually is gives a, like talks uh, on a particular track on Random Access Memory by Daft um, by Daft Punk, and he actually tells the story. Did he uh, listen to this album and then commit suicide? <laughs> no, he later went on to um, to score Midnight Express, American Gigolo, Superman Three, Scarface, The Never Ending Story, and Metropolis. So he just said, fuck this, I can do better, and ran off and became famous. So, yeah, he is, like, Giorgio's bat big time. I, I just get the impression that Anthony was, like, this well-to-do guy that kind of was born into money 
and was like, I'm going to be a fucking music producer. Like, that's what I get from my opinion of this Anthony guy. So let's continue, Joe. Um, yeah. So then we had um, we had Hollywood flashback followed by uh, it was the stud Hollywood flashback. Yep. Was there any highlights that you thought? You know, <clears throat> this really tested me. <laughs> um, I've said that I can find uh, something good, and I did. I found, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, even though the song Enigma is mm-hmm. pretty, pretty bad, yep, it had this element where I could could see this song being like in a t- like. It feels like it could fit in and kill Bill somewhere on the soundtrack. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's not terrible. And there's moments like uh, where, fuck, what, what song was it? Uh, yeah, Follow Me Reprise would have been a lot better if they yeah. just took the disco out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like, because there's like a string, string arrangement with it, which kind of like, uh, this is just, uh, it's, it's like, uh, when Axl Rose did Chinese Democracy and he threw every instrument on every track. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes you just get a little, uh, it gets, there's no room to breathe. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, this album was never going to be good to begin with, but no. there's like elements where I'm just like, you know, if they stripped this down and orchestra, it could have been a, a half listenable crooner album. So it's interesting. So there's a lot of versions of this. I think what we listened to, at least so when I listened to, was the original LP on vinyl, right? Um, there's an Italian version. There's a Spanish cassette edition. There is a CD edition. Now, what's interesting is the CD edition considers the first, like, eight side A, one track. It is only one track. <laughs> well, in a sense, it kind of is. Right? It's a 19 fucking... It's a 20-minute disco song. It's really what it is. But and you got to remember, they did disco mixes in the late 70s uh, that went on for 20 minutes mm-hmm. because people would be so fucked up on cocaine at clubs mm-hmm. that they just prolonged disco yeah. songs. Like Donna Summer at Infamous at, like... Love to love you, baby, or whatever. There's like a 20 minute version of that song, so you know it's not surprising. It's just it feels like it's ambitious, but it's misguided ambition. Yes, <laughs> like a medley, and like it's it. You know, I read a, it was like the this, this medley is like a, a, a part of a concept album ish thing. Yeah, no, if you listen to the lyrics, there's a concept album, disco concept album going on in here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely there is. And I was kind of taken aback by that. I'm like, who asked for the disco concept album? <laughs> now I just need to make one to make one. Um, so, um, yeah, to give you an idea, like, when you talk about there's a lot of people on this, there was the lead vocals, there was a guitar, backing vocals, drums, more backing vocals, another bass guitar, an engineer, more backup vocals, a recorder programming, an arranger, more backup vo- vo- uh, vocals, more arrangers, more keyboards, more synthesizers, throwing some more backing vocals, and another bass guitarist. Why yeah, it doesn't not? sound inspired at all. No. <laughs> Despite all that. I mean, if you even the song "The Stud" sounds like a ripoff of Hearts Barracuda. <laughs> <laughs> does. So let's talk about the reception. In the weekly charts, it peaked at fifty in Australia, eight in Austria, seventeen in France, number four in Germany, 
nine in Italy and nine in the Netherlands. Um, nowhere in the U.S. did it chart. Um, Don't be shocked. <laughs> America was not ready for the twenty-minute disco concept album. Apparently, um, at the end, at the end-year charts, it had hit. Um, it peaked at fourteen in Austria, fifteen in Germany, thirty-five in Italy, thirty in the Netherlands. In France and Germany, this album is certified gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was re- they lost the war, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it was released in RCA Records here in the U.S. By the way, in 1978. Then it was um yeah yep yep. It's really interesting. It was released in Germany, Spain, Austria, uh, Benelux, uh, United Kingdom, France, Italy, Portugal, Yugoslavia, Greece, Canada, U.S. and Australia in 1978. Took two years for it to be released in um. Venezuela. It was re-released on CD in 1992 in Germany only, and in uh, on October 17th of uh, excuse me October 2017, it was released on picture disc um, in Italy. Do you think this album and how bad it was inspired the socialist revolution in Venezuela? Because I think Hugo Chavez heard this and just like fuck death to death to Europeans, <laughs> death to the West, death to the West. This is who asked who, who made the twenty minute disco concept album. <laughs> um, you know, as far as for me, um, there are things like I enjoy bad music to to an extent, right? Like I own every William Shatner album. I will totally like I there. I have a I have a weird quirk. Um, of many weird quirks. If a particular, like, if an actor puts out a music album, I have to have it. Um, because I'm just, I'm drawn to this. I'm like, this is going to be either epically awesome or like a fail fuck train. And um, so um, there are things that I can appreciate in this for it being bad. Honestly, like, I, I kind of got to enjoy almost like the off beat vocals of it it kind of reminded me of when blondie tried to do the rap in rapture live um at a particular show i think deborah harry was so fucked up she couldn't keep up with it (laughs) the thing i saw so it's kind of like okay we got this weird ass like awful live blondie thing going okay cool um but it goes on too long it goes on way too long and um, it's, uh, outside of that though, it's a weird disco. It doesn't feel like full on disco to me. I don't know about you. Like when I think disco, I don't think what I'm listening to. It's like if Kiss made a disco album. Kiss did make a disco album. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Have you not heard I've been made, I'm made for loving you. Oh, fuck my life. Well, the thing is, like, yeah, this is like, I like some disco. This is just disco done wrong. Yeah, this is a disco. misguided because the vocals and like the melodies and all that, they don't pop. And that was, that's the thing that with disco is like, it's really fucking catchy. That's what 
Oh, that was the appeal of disco. Like, say what you will about the Bee Gees, they made really poppy, fucking catchy songs. Absolutely. Same with uh, ABBA. You know, and those are two uh, groups that I do have on random list playlists. I do like it. I, I'll totally admit I like ABBA. Oh, Dancing Queen Jesus. That's just a, such a good song. It's a good song. It really is. Waterloo. Like, oh man. Oh. Like, it's. Yeah. I got in the, I got an ABBA because it was my my uh, my my grandpa my mom's side. It was his favorite band. So he had vinyls of he had all the vinyls of ABBA. Yeah, That's ABBA's the shit. Crazy. And they have a huge fan base like uh, in Europe like back in the 90s they were offered like large sums of money for a reunion. Like almost a billion I think. It was like well, it was insane and they were like nope because I think uh one of the members uh, she's agoraphobic now. I think so. Yeah, she would like, yeah, she became a recluse. Yeah, so you know they just never were able, but they, you know well, that's that's disco done well. Like you know, and, yeah, I know then, you don't like the Bee Gees, but it's still you can still listen to like Staying Alive and be like, there's a structure here and it's catchy and this this is working for. Like, I'm sorry, you don't like it. Andy it Gibb works. was Andy Gibb was the most uh, was the most talented of all the Bee Gees, sir, um, and he wasn't even in that group. Uh, the only good <laughs> thing Andy Gibb did was die. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, did you know, random fact, that the um, that "Follow Me" um, the song was featured in the Dallas Buyers Club? Never saw it. Okay, well, it's in there. It's in there. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I I also wonder if like the Italian version's better. Because I, English was not this woman's first language, obviously. Well, oh, 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 there's nothing making this album. Better. <laughs> <laughs> the hey, vocals hey. could be in fucking Swahili. It's not going to help it. I'm just wondering, maybe she was on key because words are different. I'm just wondering if she maybe, I mean, not on key, but on beat. I'm wondering if she was on beat in the Italian version. That's all what I'm saying. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> it sounds like fucking Joe Strummer. And Tom Wade's guzzling, ga- guzzling glass and then doing vocal. It's just like, it doesn't, you know, and again, these vocals don't really lend itself to the, the genre, the disc. No, <clears throat> no, 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 no. She has a very smoky voice, which would work if it was more uh, down tempo, I'd say, with like more of an orchestra, kind of like what, uh, uh, kind of like what Marianne Faithful has done since, yes. you know, since. over the years, or even, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh Joni Mitchell. Yep, you know, yep. like th- you know, these kind of vocals work when it's done well. Yeah, here it's not done well. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, they get buried sometimes in the mix. Yeah, no, it does. It, it does, audience. It does get buried in the mix sometimes. Um, so outside of that, though, like, yeah, I'm with you on this. Like, <clears throat> again, it's like if Nico tried to sing a disco album, and you can't. You just don't have the vocals for disco. Um, So, I mean, you know, and she got out pretty early, by the way. By 1981, she was becoming increasingly uncomfortable with the expectations and pressures of the music business. And... uh, (laughs) Who was fucking listening to her? (laughs) (laughs) Um... Come on, like some of the songs on here, like the background sounds like NES, like fucking video game theme music. Uh, Gold, I, I wrote my notes, sounds like the, at part times it sounds like it's like the music from Blow Glow 13. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> 
So, I mean, you know, it. well, and this is weird. Again, she's just weird in general, right? But the... I don't even think she's real. I think this is, all, I think this is an elaborate trick on me. <laughs> I think this is like some prank you came up with. Well, we were supposed to record on April 1st. No. Um, no, they... Um, they um, it, what happened was in 1981, yeah, that all went, went awry, and she... Um, was starting to feel the effects of anti-disco backlash, um, especially you know coming out of the late eight, you know late seventies, early eighties, and she started to record a um, recording tracks for a forthcoming al- um, album with this Trevor Horn in London. However, Munn did not approve, and informed Leo that she had to return to Munich and provide the company and the market with another product with Munn. Uh, the results of this session was a, was an album called um, Incognito, which is only partly co-written by Lear, which was a new wave album. <laughs> it generated from one fan straight into another. <laughs> yes, and it had one minor hit, um, the a French ballad called Egal, and met with some relative success in Scandinavia. It was also her breakthrough album in South America. <laughs> See, I don't believe any of this. This is, sounds all just made up. Like, <laughs> she did not break out in South America. <laughs> she broke out in South America. Well, and one guy down there accidentally bought the album. And was like, it's a hit. And <laughs> a, a pe- copy. <laughs> apparently, three tracks recorded in Spanish called Egal, Dama de Berlin, and Nymphomania, um, which um, were guitar, were recording, were Spanish tracks became a hit in, were, 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 I shouldn't, I mean, a relative hit in South America. Um, another non-album single followed was just a synth pop song <laughs> on the pop on the classic Fever, which was, <laughs> and, and that was her final collaboration with Munn. She shortly afterwards um, took legal action against the label for um, artistic differences. She lost, and <laughs> <laughs> she lost. And oh. Had... <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> had, oh. and had to remain with the label until 1983, as stipulated in the original contract. Um, in 1982, another single was released, a double double A-side single, Love Your Body, Light of Darkness, was released in 1983. Um, and those were um, Lear's final Munich reporting, recordings for the Areola, or, uh, the, um, Areola um, company. And then at that point, her international career was slowing, and eventually came to an end with her sixth and final album called Tam Tam, <laughs> which was a modern minimalist 80s synth pop album with a soundscape dominated by a rolling drum machine and synthesizers. <laughs> she wrote all the all the um all the all the album in English, did not promote in West Germany or in Europe, and <clears throat> and never did. And basically Tam Tam was like Never, it went basically unnoticed. Like, didn't nobody, nobody knows of Tam Tam. <laughs> Nor should they. Nor should they. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, 
Joe, where, I mean, where do you go? I mean, it's the story again, this is one of those things where the stories behind the album and the music and like her work is far more fascinating than (laughs) what we're listening to. Honestly, the story (laughs) of her is just as mediocrely boring (laughs) as this album was. Like I found nothing of what you said. interesting. (laughs) My eyes glazed over. (laughs) Like, pay attention, Gilmer. (laughs) This is like this is like a biopic that if you offered it to a movie studio and they buy just about any biopic, they'd be like, "We're good." (laughs) Oh, dude, no way, no way! You got Salvador Dali, David Bowie. She's fucking everyone. Yeah, nothing's interesting about any of those. (laughs) Like, you don't remember the Amanda Lear era of David Bowie. Hell, we didn't, I didn't even know he dated her or knew her before this podcast. Well, again, they recorded a track together. It's just no one ever heard it. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, it's bad. She has like the most boring and mediocre story <laughs> in music for somebody who might be like, you know, like, a very interesting like backstory of you know maybe being transgender or intersex and nobody knows nobody knows where she is and it's like there's this mystery when the, you started this story and then it just fell like a lead ball. you're <laughs> 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 gonna kill me over here fuck um like nothing came out of it, man. It was like <laughs> it, 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 it was a weak orgasm, man. It was a, <laughs> you built it up and then just like <laughs> it just drizzled out. All right, yeah. fair enough. It's, it's fair like, enough. you know you eat you eat some you know Taco Bell and you you, you feel like a great shit coming. <laughs> it just doesn't. That, that's what the story of Sweet Revenge. <laughs> Oh my god! All right, so don't, don't. Would you recommend this album? No. <laughs> Given like the, like the randomness of having to try to hunt down these tracks for it, <laughs> there's a reason why it's not available anywhere. <laughs> Fuck me, man. Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, if you're a fan of train wrecks. <laughs> it's not even for a train wreck. It's like a boring train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. If you're a fan of 10 mile an hour train wrecks. <laughs> It slowly hits a car and starts denting it very slowly. <laughs> I would say listen to this album. <laughs> but outside of that, um, no, I can't recommend a disco concept album. Um, by... It's only half a concept album. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you bought Pink Floyd The Wall and only the first record was a concept and the rest... <laughs> Album two was like some random group of songs. It's like Uma Guma. Uma Guma. Uma Guma has more interesting elements to it. Yeah, it does. Holy fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
I'm gonna die over here, motherfucker. <laughs> oh my god. Holy fuck, yeah. No, it's um yeah, half a concept album. No. <laughs> no. Can't say I recommend it. Honestly, even if I did recommend it, you'd have to find it. <laughs> And good luck with that. The Spotify tracks, I don't even know if those are, those are like the, even the versions that were on the official album. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, honestly, I don't know what version I listened to. I just know it was on vinyl. <laughs> it could be, it could be in the Italian. I don't know. Man, oh, like, I was looking through the comments on that YouTube video, and like, there's people saying, this is the greatest album ever made. I was just <laughs> flabbergasted. You know, <laughs> some people out there, I swear, hate music. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, um, I, I don't get it. It's, it's weird. Um, mm, holy fuck. Yeah, it's... Uh, Anyone who says this is the best album ever made is an asshole. <laughs> Big time asshole. I kind of think you're an asshole for suggesting. <laughs> yeah. You listen to this. You listen to this and then said, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> oh, my God. It's yeah, like, this could, this could you imagine being at a party and that you're being with party with all those guys? This guy's like, dude, you guys got to hear this. <laughs> I would have walked right out. Oh, God. He takes over the ox cord and makes everyone listen to this fucking thing. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah, no, this, um, <laughs> this was a, um, this was a bad album. Um, I think this is, this is the worst one we've ever done. <laughs> it's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. 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 This, this makes me want to go listen to moment. Jerry laps a reason. And That's that a, takes a lot of effort. <laughs> that makes me feel bad about myself. <laughs> yeah. Right. I just hate me. <laughs> I hate me for wanting to do that. <laughs> oh, so fuck man. Yeah. No, this is awful. All right. Well, then again, I didn't listen to the album beforehand. I just knew about it from the fucking movie, um, which is just nothing but like TNA, like straight fucking an hour and a half. And these songs from this album, dude. <laughs> this is like give people an insight that uh, you started listening to this shortly after we recorded the last episode. You messaged me right away. I think I made a big mistake. I did. I did. I I messaged you right. Like, I think it was the day after I started listening to it. I'm like, well, I should probably listen to this thing. And I went, oh, fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) But by that time, I was already fucking in the rabbit hole. I was like, well, I'm not going to fucking change it. So, oh, Christ. All right, Joe, I'm going to die if we keep going here. <laughs> Tell me, it's your pick next week. What the fuck are we doing? Paul, I'm going to, I'm throwing you a treat. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a, a somewhat of a follow-up from an album we already listened to. Okay. It's, uh, it's kind of a follow-up to The Lamb Lays Down on Broadway in that uh, it's, it's an album by the drummer from that band. <laughs> Uh, and it features Peter Gabriel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is your re- this is my revenge for Amanda Lear, Paul. Uh, we're doing No Jacket Required by Phil Collins. 
God. So we, get prepared to take me home, Paul, because oh we're going to studio. We fucking hate each other, don't we? Holy fuck. All right. All right. I would have preferred about face, but all right. Um, <laughs> no jacket required. No jacket required. Thanks, fucking brother Phil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, this was a good one, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. All right. Um, so we already plugged that. I got, um, you know. Um, by the time this one comes out, everything that I have will be out. Um, I'm running a little behind on getting shit out. We are just sitting on a shit ton of content. I just need to put it up. Um, the new Stranger Things will be added to the channel, uh, to the pod down, uh, to the Joe down, excuse me. Um, the second cast that movie is done. We are going to be recording the third uh, episode this weekend. That is going to be Dante's Peak. <laughs> 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 I got some hate for that one, but that's the movie we're doing. Um, yeah, it's uh, that's the movie where James Bond and Sarah Connor take down a volcano. <laughs> well, <laughs> Paul, no matter what, it can't be as bad as Sweet Revenge. Oh God! <laughs> this is the new like watermark of terrible. <laughs> Dude, dude, I'm gonna send you a link to the movie so you can see it. Um, <laughs> you won't believe it. You'll just be like, "What the fuck is happening here?" I just um, came out and I had no interest in watching it. What's that? I just remember when that movie came out and I had no interest in watching it. Oh yeah, no. Well, it came out. You know, in the '90s, there was just this slew of terrible disaster movies. Um, there was Dante's Peak. There was a movie called Volcano. Um, there was a movie called The Storm. I mean, it was just, you know, after um, after Twister, there was just this rush to make disaster movies in the 90s. And besides Twister, they all were fucking terrible. And the only reason why Twister was any fucking good is because it had Bill Paxton. Otherwise, that movie would have sucked. <laughs> you know, why didn't Hollywood jump on, like, Better fads like Con Air. <laughs> they did. They did. Uh, what was it? Broken Arrow. <laughs> oh God, that was fantastic. <laughs> Face off. Face off. <laughs> yeah, there was a whole shit ton of those movies. What was it? Um, Air Force. Uh, 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 what was the one with um, where Steven Seagal got like top billing but died like two minutes into it? <laughs> uh, with Kurt Russell. What was that one? Airplane Down or something? Oh. Um, Black Hawk Down, was that it? No, that was like based on an actual military instance. Oh, God. It was, uh, it was where Kurt Russell, I think, was the president. Um, uh, executive decision. That was it. Executive decision. Yeah. Where, where like, Steven Seagal got, like, second billing and he dies, like, super early in the movie. Yeah, they they did jump on the Con Air bandwagon, you fuck, and it was awful. <laughs> Con Air is cinematic perfection, Paul. <laughs> uh-huh. Joe Pesci playing a child molester. Who would have thought? <laughs> Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Steve Buscemi. What did I say? <laughs> Joe Pesci. <laughs> Jesus Christ, my mind is broke from this episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fuck my life. All right. Um, well, everyone, thanks for listening on this particular episode of Rate That Album. Um, if we can get the YouTube channel up to 50 subscribers, you will get a song of um, You and I covered by me. If we get to 100, I can't remember what we promised, but we promised more music by me. Um, You're going to cover Little Babies by Slater King. <laughs> Fine, done. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll make a cover of that. Um, so there we go. That's where we get to 100. And if we get to 1,000 subscribers, you guys, I will make an entire cover of Sweet Revenge. <laughs> the entire <laughs> album. I'd I rather hear you cover the entire No Jacket Required. <laughs> oh, that, no, you got to get me the 5,000 before I do that shit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck. All right, Joe, with that, take us the fuck out of here. I got nothing. <laughs> We're broke. See this album broke us. <laughs> See you next episode, people. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs>